You're listening to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hello, I'm Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined here with my co-host Morgan McClure and Stephen Vaughn. Morgan, how's your day been going today? Well, it was going really well, but then I got here, and now my notes have disappeared. So <laughs> we will just rely on uh, photographic memory and the at Holy Spirit. Best. Yes, at its <laughs> finest. And Stephen, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I've uh, been able to spend a lot of time with family, actually, over the past few days. We have family visiting, and we haven't seen them in a while. So we're doing, a, we're doing well. Had a good day. Well, listen, we're really excited to get into the topic today, we're going to segue into the topic that we're talking about, and that is kingdom-minded or earthly good. We're really exploring the relationship between the church and state. Stay tuned. We hope you join us for this episode. Well, let's jump off as we talk about really the kind of the circumstance that we in the church have been a part of uh, over the last couple months with coronavirus and how that has really brought different mandates and restrictions by the state. And so uh, what I see as I kind of look out on kind of the landscape of, of the culture is kind of this tension uh, between really kind of the authority that government plays in those instances and and yet also the, you know, kind of safeguarding the, the freedoms of churches and, and religious institutions. And so have you guys experienced that? Have you, have you, you know, felt that tension, you know? Yes. I think on a personal note, I felt, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I think the past few months have probably been one of the biggest challenges for me personally between my Christianity and, um, how I'm supposed to be a citizen in our country, uh, because, um, and we're going to get into it later, but I think, I think it's just, it's a tense time because it really shows, um, your belief system and how you're going to live your life out and what you truly believe in during these times. That's true. That's true. Morgan, what about you? Yeah, no, I feel the same way, especially just, you know, with things being amped up with coronavirus and all these other things it, it brought to mind a lot of question of responsibility, you know, who am I as a Christian, but also who am I an American citizen as an American citizen? And like, what am I supposed to do with all of these things that are being thrown at me from both angles? So I've definitely felt the tension. Yeah. So, you know, I think in the United States, we hear the phrase a lot about separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people who are listening in today, I think we need to clarify that really that phrase is not used in our founding documents. It's not, it's not found in the constitution. Uh, It's not found in the declaration of independence. It's not found in the bill of rights. Really. It was a phrase. Uh, really a remark that was made by Thomas Jefferson uh, as he thought about the principles that he believed in and really what he thought was implied uh, in our country's founding documents. But, you know, the relationship between the church and state uh, is really a question that, that the church has had to think about uh, and really grapple with over a number of centuries. I mean, from the very beginning of Christianity, you see that the relationship between the church and state is actually a, a matter of great concern, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you guys think about, and, and as the listeners are thinking too, uh, over the centuries, you know, the church has had to deal with that question um, and and how they're going to relate to different types of governments and live under them. And so how, how, how have we just kind of seen that, maybe in a snapshot, uh, played out over centuries? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think of in the very beginning, you know, when Christianity began with Christ and after the ascension, you know, the early church, they lived through so much persecution from their government. You know, they lived under tyrannies of dictators and, you know, emperors who were very, you know, vicious and, and cruel to them. So that was that's a huge, um, like, weird situation they had to live in under government. Hmm. Yeah. And then I don't think it was necessarily a matter of is the church separate from the state because it was obviously separate in those days. Like there was okay. no confusing there was <laughs> right. not a that the church line. and state were together. Hmm. Um, I think the confusion started to happen more in the Middle Ages and as you go on through um, the, the turn of the century and so on mm-hmm. as um, an organized church government came into play with the birth of Catholicism and um, the like that you really get into more of a church state okay, mm-hmm. and uh, into Calvin uh, when sure. he was in Geneva and how he set up a church state, a church that would govern um, those people who lived in a certain geographical location. And I think that this is really when you start hearing this tension of 
okay, so how does all this relate? And then you have the Church of England and um, the separation of church and state, though, that was even pre-Jefferson because that would be a founding principle of colonialism. But even before that, with the pre-Baptist reformers in Europe Europe and the reformers, where they would argue and push back against that. And they would say, um, the church and state should not be one. They should actually operate on different planes. Okay. And um, that was kind of back in Europe, way before Jefferson would even come. And then Jefferson would take some of those ideas and build off of them. Sure. So, so the Church of Jesus Christ has has lived under many different types of governments. I mean, right. uh, it's not all been the type of government that we have in the United States. And and you know, as we kind of think about the relationship between church and state. Oftentimes, I think the pendulum often kind of swings in one of two extremes. You know, mm-hmm. last week we were talking about orthodoxy being the river. And I think as we maybe kind of use that same analogy to think about, okay, well, what are the banks, the, the really the extremes on either side of the issue? What do you guys think, you know, often kind of the church has, the, the, the pendulum has swung to one of those extremes? I think for one, um, people can be really, you know, pacifism is a huge one where they just want to be totally hands off where it's like, you know, okay, now that I am a believer and I'm a Christian, I can have no part whatsoever in earthly dealings, earthly government, because, you know, why not? Lord's coming back anyway in the end. So what does it really matter if I'm involved? You know? So, okay. Yeah. I think that's a big one. I think another extreme would be anarchy. And it's just this idea of, the government is always wrong. The government's always out to get me. The government is anti-God. And um, there is that mentality in much of America and even in much of the church, I would say. Um, I know people personally who it's like the government is always wrong. And it's like, okay, well, I get that you might have disagreements with the governments. Um, I, I would have my personal ones, right? But to broad brush the entire government and to say it's all wrong and to have this anarchist mentality um, that's an extreme. Right. You sort know? of have like, okay. there's always an antagonist. Mm-hmm. It's either, you know, this leader Somebody's or this government. Somebody's always out to yeah. get you. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's always somebody, you know? Mm. So, no, that's true. So we, I mean, you know, we can look back in church history and we can see the church leaning towards those type of extremes. We can also see just the tension that was there um, over the centuries. And so, you know, as we think about how the church has really lived under many different types of governments, you know, for, as we kind of talk about this discussion of, you know, the relationship between church and state, what is the responsibility of the state? What's, what is really the foundational purpose of government that we, that we find in Scripture? Take it away, I'll, I'll take it away then, <laughs> <laughs> since you lost your notes, right? I'll, yeah, I'll kick us off. All gone. Well, um, God is the one, I believe, who sets up government. And I believe you see it as early um, in the book of Genesis, right? And uh, some people would probably differ on where it begins, sure, right? Sure. Some might say, I know you have said that you believe Genesis 9. Well, some I, might... I look at Genesis 9 because I see the commandment that God gives there that, mm-hmm. that, that if man sheds blood by his blood will be yes. shed. So you see yeah. this kind of instituting an aspect of capital punishment there. But then some would argue that it even goes back earlier than that. Some would. I would agree with you that it's Genesis 9. Uh, I believe that when you look and you see how chaotic it was before Noah and the flood, Mm -hmm. that there literally was a lack of authority and government and organization in place. And I believe that government was set up post-flood in order to provide this structure and this uh, authority in a sense to um, provide a organized way of living for God's creation post-flood. Okay. So, and even oh, sorry. Go ahead, Go ahead. You yeah. even see it later on, you know, with the institution of the judges and then the kings. So God has, you know, continued to put authority over his people throughout the ages. And and government's been given a responsibility, right? I mean, mm-hmm. as we think about the responsibility of government, what would you think about um, is is probably the primary responsibility? Yeah, so I think that this is kind of where I mean, there's probably going to be a lot of disagreement Mm -hmm. on this, right? I think in scripture, you can clearly see that government has been given a authority, a a pedestal of authority to um, provide structure and organization for our lives. I think that you can find in scripture that they've been given a responsibility to protect uh, those that are in their realm. Uh, You go back into like books like Chronicles, Kings, Samuel, even Judges to an extent, and Mm -hmm. you can see some of this uh, protection. And once you get past that, you could talk about some minor things, I think. Um, but a lot of people will emphasize, well, the government's there to serve us. 
But if you look in the book of Acts, it's actually the church who's providing much of the services that we would now attribute to the government, right? Right. And so I think sometimes we blur that line and we want to make it all about, well, the government's there to give me stuff. And it's like, well, in scripture, I mean, you might be able to point out some of that, but that's not the main priority of government in scripture. Right. I, I think government was instituted for the protection of, right. of people, right? For the preservation of life. I mean, you see that, you see that in Genesis 9, you see that played out uh, in, in, you know, in the book of Kings in different places. And so, you know, government has that responsibility yeah. to preserve life, protect life. I was reading uh, yesterday, um, and I can't remember who said it, but they said, men are not angels, therefore government is needed you know mm-hmm. so we we are in that was a recognition of our inherent brokenness and a need for some sort of authority structure because if every man is left to himself then we know what happens <laughs> a right. flood was needed to wipe us all out right so i mean i think we could clearly say government its primary responsibility is the sanctity of life protection of life preservation of life and yet the Christian has a responsibility as well uh, to government. Uh, I think about Romans 13, where Paul says, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted Mm -hmm. by God. And so really Paul's outlining, stating that the church, uh, that, that, I'm sorry, the government has been given authority They've been instituted this authority by God, and and the question then comes, well, then how are we as people uh, to respond to that authority that God has uh, really delineated who he has assigned it to? And, uh, and, and he says it there in, in Romans 13, let every person be subject. And so as we think about, well, what does it mean to be subject, Morgan? What would you... How would, how would we explain that, define that? Yeah, I feel like um, the idea of being subject to something is a little, you know, it, it comes with some more it tension. It us. does. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. You know, we want to push against the goads on that one. But really, it's to live in, in submission and in recognition that, you know, that authority is there for a reason. And like Paul said, it's been instituted by God. You know, whether or not this person is led by God or this organization is led by God, it is there. And just like we have an authority under God and we submit to him, um, we just, you know, living in submission to the government can be viewed the same way. Yeah. And so I think about how Paul wrote that letter in really in in, in, in the middle of a church that was living under an empire, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> under under uh, really, really a lack of freedoms in, in some aspects. And, and yet we as Christians in America, we live under, you know, a democratic republic. And so with that, it kind of adds a layer of complexity, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It True adds that. a layer of, of, and so I think this is where people are at today, right? It's, it's as, as a Christian, like living my life before God and also in responsibility to the government that he has placed over me. And yet as a citizen of this country, I have a responsibility that, that was not maybe afforded in other centuries and in other types of governments. Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about this the other day, you and I, when we were just together and we were talking about how, like our constitution is set up to where we have a voice and we can disagree to a point, right? In that day, it was basically like, okay, submit to the government. Um, if it violates scripture, that's a no-no, right? But other than that, you have it. But in a democracy, especially a democratic republic like we live in, right? We have a responsibility. I love what you said, we have a responsibility. And also it's been given to us the rights to have free speech mm-hmm. and to stand up for some of the things that we believe in. And it's encouraged, right? And so there's this tension here of like, what's too far? What's too much? And how do I still balance all of that? Because it's not as... Yeah. It's not as cut and dry as it was <laughs> with, yeah. in that day, you know, and in that culture. And I think what's fascinating is the fact that we have been given choices in the way that our government has been set up. Choice in government it was just something that didn't that even exist concept. on people's mind. Yeah, right. back then, because it was like submit or die. And those are your two options. But right. we literally have the ability to establish government as we go along. And it's, it's just incredible to see like from where we came and now like this point in history. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is that as you think about the church, oftentimes as I just kind of think about the church in America over the last, you know, 60, 70, 80 years, I think the church has been at fault for, for dealing with issues and bits and pieces Mm -hmm. without actually recognizing uh, you know, they, they've, they've kind of battled the issues, you know, and you can just look at it in every decade, it's a different issue that the church is battling. 
And and sometimes I think the church can get so caught up in dealing with the issues that they they miss out on seeing that all of the stuff that's happening maybe over the last 50, 60 years are really symptomatic of a much deeper issue. Mm-hmm. And yet we have a tendency to want to battle things on the surface, you know, and um, because I think our culture has shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worldview of, of, of America has greatly shifted uh, in a number of years. And so it's it's how do people understand truth, you know? So, I mean, what do you guys think about that as we kind of think about the church and, and maybe the battles that they've fought? I mean, yes. rightly, wrongly? Yeah, so it's kind of like what if somebody comes to me and they're asking for counseling for an issue in their life, it goes back to like instantly what we talk about is like, is your issue that you're dealing with, is it a root or a fruit problem? Mm-hmm. And I would completely agree with you. I think the church has been at fault too often over the past few decades for trying to deal with fruit issues in our culture without ever trying to get to the root. Mm-hmm. And um, you see that down through um, down through the ages, right? I mean, like with different, I mean, there's all different issues. You could, you could pick out like an issue like abortion. And is this a issue that needs to be dealt with? Well, most definitely, right? Like this is definitely something that we need to deal with. However, is this the main issue or is this issue more of a fruit from a deeper root problem with our culture? And um, if you get so caught up with the fruit that you're just trying to deal with issues, there's going to be more issues that come from that root, right? You got to go for the heart of the issue. And, um, I believe what you said is very true. It's a shift in worldview. It's a shift from moral truth and moral right. And this code of ethics that you could trace back into much of our founding documents. Right. And it's been a shift of more to a moral relativism and this idea of, Hey, whatever you believe is true is true. Whatever you believe is right is right. And I'm going to stick to my truth. Yeah. And this shift has caused massive repercussions yeah. that the church has been trying to clean up. Over Which the I don't decades. think they may be, I don't think the church notices it well when they're in the midst of it. I mm-hmm. think it's easy to look back 15, 20 years and be like, wow, man, maybe we, 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 <laughs> we got caught up in the issue more than we missed out on, on what was happening. Hindsight with, is 2020. With <laughs> but, but, but you can think about that in any aspect, whether it sure. was the, um, the you know the battle that was fought back in the you know 50s 60s of 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 evolution versus creation versus what you were talking about with abortion i mean you can you can think about a number of different issues where 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 the church has gotten caught up with saying they've not defined truth as a kind of a total reality of of what god says and what is truth rather we've identified truth by by truths that we know. So people mm-hmm. might talk about the truth of creation or the truth of the virgin birth or the truth of the sanctity of life. But we but we sometimes can get so wrapped up in the issue that we miss out on kind of the overarching fact that 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 truth if we believe in truth is not is not, you know, just a matter of issues but it's 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 more foundational relating to all of reality. Beliefs. Right. And I think that's one of the main issues that we have to grapple with and oftentimes we overlook so much is we come in with the assumption that everybody's still on the same worldview when that's just not the case. Even some people in the church have a different worldview and that's just because the teaching has, you know, expanded and broadened and I'm sure we'll get into that in later episodes, but yeah, it's just this assumption that everyone understands what the you know correct or right worldview is even that we're approaching it on the same playing field when actuality we're really not it definitely has shifted more toward you know in the public sphere that relativism and the pluralism that is just so you know rampant in this mindset we're trying to relate to lost people like christians right and that's just you, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. work like that we we judge our culture and those around us on the same plane of gospel-minded Christians who are following the Lord. And it doesn't work like that. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, they're not going to believe the same thing that you do. And so you should not be surprised when they don't. And I feel like sometimes we are. We're like, shocked. Oh my, what? that person would think that, well, yeah, they don't know the Lord. I mean, <laughs> well, their, their, their source of truth is different. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's really, I think as we think about it, you know, as we think back, I guess, to when the United States was founded and we think about some of our founding our founding documents and how the church in America at that time was given 
really a freedom of religion that uh, with the Constitution and then with the especially with the First Amendment, right, that mm-hmm. that that now, unlike the state church of England, n- there wouldn't be that now. Now, the state church is not mandated in our country. And so I think our founding fathers is that Constitution was written and it was put together. It was there were certain freedoms that are outlined in there. Um, that were not always the case. And yet we can easily take those for granted. I mean, mm-hmm. you can think about what was happening here in the colonies before the Declaration of Independence and the persecution that was happening on in, in churches by a, a number of different localities and magistrates and places. I mean, I think about people like William Penn as he was persecuted for a religious assembly. I think even here in our own state of Virginia with, with John Leland, right? He was a Baptist minister that was greatly persecuted. He was a very much a part of, of some of this founding of, of our country that there is this sense of religious uh, freedom. And so as citizens in our country, we are given rights that that we hold dear. And, and, and the, Indep- the Declaration of Independence refers to them as certain inalienable rights. Mm-hmm. I, I find that interesting that, that it's described as inalienable rights. What, is, what does that mean, that a right it's, is inalienable? It cannot be alienated from the individual. It is something that cannot be separated from the person themselves okay. because it comes outside of an individual. It's, it transcends people themselves, these rights, you know, that and because of that language and that understanding, that's why they've become intrinsic to human beings, these inalienable rights. Because who gives the rights? The states? Well, in in the mind of our founding fathers who wrote this document, it would be traced back to a lawgiver God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I, I went and, back and read part of the declaration <laughs> this week as we were getting ready. And, and just listen to this line. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And so as we think about our founding document, a part of our country here, what is that implying? What what stands out to you as you hear that phrase? Well, it it stands out that they believed in a moral right and a moral law because they believed in a divine presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about this week kind of as we were preparing um, in no way would I say that like every one of those guys was a Christian. And in fact, um, many of them were, some of them, many of them were, some of them, you could definitely look at the fruit of their life and be like, not a chance in this world. Right. Uh, however, even if they were not Christians, they still had a deistic, um, worldview. Atheistic. Well, I would argue deistic because they believed in a deity. Thomas Jefferson would not have been a theist, but he was a deist. He believed in a, in a divine presence. He would believe that you couldn't know him, but they were still one there. And so all of the language in these founding documents goes back to this moral law giver. And so they were able to have law Mm -hmm. because there was someone who had given the law, God himself. Right. And I think what's so important about the way that they phrase these is there's an understanding of absolute rights. These are not things that shift and change with time, but these are, they they recognize a system of absolute morality, like you were saying, something that can't just be changed by the ideas of men. Mm. Yeah. And what stands out to me as I read that phrase was the fact that for for the first time, or maybe first time in a long time uh, in, in different countries, the law in the colonies was king. It it mm-hmm. wasn't an individual. It wasn't it wasn't a tyranny. It was that right. for actual fact the law that was written and that was understood came from a lawgiver. It came from um the, the aspect that you guys are talking about. And so with the declaration of independence comes the really the bill of rights and with that the first amendment. And and the first amendment really had two primary purposes. One was that there would be no establishment of a national church for the United 13 states, right? Mm-hmm. So unlike England, uh, this would be very different for the colonies. And then the second purpose is actually very opposite of what's being made of it today, is that the fact that the government should not impede or interfere with the free practice of religion. And yet when you hear the phrase today, separation of church and state, oftentimes that's used to silence the church. Right. And I think it's interesting that even that phrase came from 
just this passing remark made one time by Thomas Jefferson, you know, and, and it, he was definitely, I mean, we can only speculate what was going through his mind, but I'm sure that he was not uh, thinking of it as a way to keep the church silent. I mean, now you have organizations that are, their whole purpose is to, you know, maintain that separation of church and state so that the state has, you know, or the church has no say in what happens in you know government or they just you know they should have no other influence outside of their own sphere and I just I think that's you know you know I have my own opinions about it but (laughs) it's just it's it's very interesting to me well when I think about how the country was founded and kind of the documents that are kind of bedrock to our nation the fact is you look out on the landscape today and and things have greatly shifted from that and in how we define morality and how we um, understand uh, truth. And so, you know, today we're in a very highly secularized society. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about it just a little bit on the last episode of pluralism. And, and, and what is that? What is pluralism? I mean, when we think about really our day to day is so different so pluralism would be this idea of a a, a, a variety of truths, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's kind of the idea of many roads lead to God, and it's the idea that I can um, I can go this way, you can go this way, and uh, we will all get to the same destination. Which, by the way, defies logic, mm-hmm. defies every roadmap, and defies every. <laughs> Um, sense of geography that's possibly there, which is the main illustration they use. However, um, it's just this idea that there's there's many sides to truth. Right. And we all have a different side. And it's a little bit different than relativism. Okay. Because relativism is more like you have your truth and truth is completely relative. I think sometimes in pluralism, it's not that truth is completely relative, not all the way. There is still some hint of truth, but there's many sides to it, you know, and it's kind of a step back from relativism almost. Yeah. And you said it because you said individual. It's Mm -hmm. really each person is making a determination of what is truth for them, right? Um, it's 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 no longer maybe moral right and wrong, but now it's become very pluralistic, and so there's many truths and many. What do you think, Morgan? I yeah, mean, and I think it leads to this idea that um, many realities can all be true at the same time, whereas you know, with relativism, it, it kind of leads to that same train of thought where you know, all of us can be correct and right and all of these things can exist, like you said, at the same time, leading to eventually the same conclusion. But it, it, it's it's not quite that way. It, it, when you really go through the logic of it, it doesn't quite make sense. So as we think about the relationship here between church and state, uh, how has truth changed and shifted in America? How, how, is, how is truth understood? How is it um, well, I think we have to understand where people's foundations are. I mean, as Christians, our foundation is Scripture and the Word of God and the teachings of Christ and His character and the character of the Lord and the fact that we have the Holy Spirit within us. So that's our basis of truth. But, you know, everyone who is not a believer, they can have fountains upon fountains of other sources of truth. And so um, I think, yeah, it's, you know, knowing where people's foundation are, and that's where you'll find. I like what, what you said, too, about truth. fountains. Um, it's basically, it's an endless source. Like, they can get their truth from anywhere they want, what yeah. they feel, what they see, what they uh, experience. Maybe it's um, uh, the old argument of science and <laughs> this idea that science is separate from God, which uh, I would disagree with heavily. But um, the fountains are endless. The sources of truth are truth in quotes are endless because it's wherever they kind of want to go and whatever mm-hmm. they want to believe in this relativistic and pluralistic mindset. So how has relativism and pluralism worked its way into the judicial system mm-hmm. of America? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you see it down through um, the ages, right? And I think a big one that people would want to talk about would probably be something like a Roe versus Wade, maybe, or this, um, the things like that, right? Where it's it's hinge points on moral law in our country, right? And if you were to go back into um, the original day of our country when it was founded, uh, I don't think you would find many people who would um, necessarily 
argue the sanctity of a human life and uh, when life begins, right? And even at the time of Roe versus Wade, I think that that you could still argue that a percentage was still very heavily against it. But there was a shifting in the judicial law to say, um, you know, this this idea that there is a lawgiver and that there is a life giver is no longer valid because science, right? And they would argue off of the evolution evolutionary that model that had just happened before. Yeah. It had just happened right before that. So this mm-hmm. was a precursor, right? Mm-hmm. And now based on that, we have no evidence anymore to argue for a life giver. So therefore is the sanctity of life even a thing? And it opens the door, you know, this relativistic and pluralistic mindset opens the door to a hinge point to where the sanctity of life now is questioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read a book this past week um, that I'd read before, but as we were leading up to this, I, I reread it again, and that was uh, Francis Schaeffer's A Christian Manifesto. And in his book, he talks about sociological law, and he talks about situ- situ- situational law. And he talks about how that, if 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 you do not affirm the fact that there's a lawgiver, that there's a there's a sense of truth that is a total reality in all of life, he says, then what can happen is that a law that has no fixed base, but a law in which a group of people decide what is sociologically good for society at the given moment, and what they arbitrarily decide becomes the law. And and he did he referenced that uh, its situation uh, versus Roe versus Wade and 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 how the Supreme Court in a sense, almost arbitrarily ruled that abortion was legal. And overnight, as you think about how that one law swept over America, and that in that day, um, that abortion was before that not legal, and then overnight it became ethical. Mm -hmm. And to see how situ... I can't say that word. (laughs) Thank you. Situationally, (laughs) it it has the ability to... um, to change things. Well, and especially since the way our judiciary, you know, the the final judicial word um, in our government is set up with the Supreme Court, now they have to act upon the precedents that they have set. So with those rulings, that becomes the truth that they have to go by, right. you know, unless they were to go back and overturn these things, which we know is very rare in, in situations like that. Which is why I referenced the case on evolution that they right. had in the Scopes uh, trials, mm-hmm. right, before that, because that was a precedent. That then comes back around right. in Roe versus Wade. Exactly. And all of a sudden that becomes a precedent that's going to come back around in another case, in another case. And so you have like a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. And it's like an avalanche that just keeps growing in power the longer it goes. And so as we kind of maybe segue into another thought here, you know, the, the, the church in America is living in this day. We're living in this day. And so we're a part of this culture, this society, this government, this law. And, um, and ha- has the church... How has the church done? I mean, as we think about the church's responsibility, I, I feel that the circumstance that we're in largely should be attributed to how the church has really failed in its responsibility uh, to be salt to mm-hmm. the culture. Um, yeah, and- I, I think you nailed it on the head earlier where you said hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And so... I think it is easy to look back and to find those things, but I think that we do need to do that in order so that we don't make the same mistakes. Um, it was, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, George Santayana, I believe is how yeah. you pronounce his name. I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, he said those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I believe that that is a very, very um <laughs> good quote to think on in these days because I think we need to look back so that we can look forward. And um, I think that we have, I would agree with you. I think the church has not done a good job. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've been salt to the wounds, right? This healing and restoring um, type presence. And I don't think they've been light to darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and most times they're what we talked about earlier, quibbling on issues and trying to take care of this instead of, hey, why don't we go for the heart of the issue? And that's people's souls, right? you know? And I, I think that, yeah. oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, comes back to that, those, that swinging pendulum of two extremes. We've, you know, the church has either been very aggressive in tackling issues or they've checked out completely. And, you know, I'm going to throw something out here and I, I don't know if it's a matter of saying we need to be more active because you can't change somebody's actions until their mindset agrees with it. And I think it's a matter of the church 
remembering who we are and what our purpose is here. Mm-hmm. And that's with being the salt and being the light. But where do, you know, like how do we do that if people don't understand why that's important? You yeah, know? That, that's a good point because beliefs shape mindset and mindset sets action, right? Exactly. And so if you're just trying to change someone's actions, they still have a mind mm-hmm. and they still have this mindset and they also still have a belief about something that's shaping their thought processes. And so mm-hmm. it's going for that heart. Uh, wasn't it Billy Graham who said that the church is the greatest mission field? Yeah. yeah. And it's like one of those ideas where you're like, well, um, if on a given week, um, you know, 20% of the church is not Christian, <laughs> that might be a, that might be a place that we need to start is with the heart of people in our churches so that their mindsets change so that then their actions reflect what they believe. What I think about too, and I agree with what both of you are saying, cause I, I think what needs to take place is that the church cannot be passive. And I think the church has been passive far too long, uh, in their silent when they ought to speak. And then at the same time, they 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 have a tendency to lash out at issues without dealing with what really enacts true change, and 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 in places of um, in places of even things simply as voting and as advocating for things that are right, the, the church doesn't do that in, in large respects. I literally have known people like good friends of mine, right, and people that I respect greatly. But I've had people tell me before, well. You know, there's no use to vote because it won't make a big difference. And it's like, well, that's a pacifistic response. I mean, you're called to be an active member of society, right? And if you aren't taking advantage of your basically your your most basic right as a U.S. citizen, <laughs> the, the right to vote is one of the most basic rights then how can you say that you're actively following after the Lord and doing what you need to do because you're called to affect change and be salt and light, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I think what often takes place is that the church has kind of presumed this disconnect that that Christians cannot rightly submit to government while at the same time standing and advocating to preserve freedom. And it's and it's as if you can't hold both of those things at the same time. Either you have to just completely submit to all government at all times, or or you have to be willing to take a stand and advocate for rights and freedoms and really the sanctity of life, the sanctity of life and the preservation of life and the whole purpose of what government uh, was instituted for. I've thought about this this week that how, you know, oftentimes the media gets thrown under the bus uh, today. Everybody's talking about fake news and all these things. But but as you think about the media, and, and not only do they report news, but that the media has the ability to change perception mm-hmm. of any event. I, I came across a funny meme a couple of weeks ago, and it was like years ago, you know, the media, uh, they told you the news and you had to d- decide what you thought about it. And nowadays the media uh, tells you what to think about something and you have to decide if something actually happened, you know? Okay. And I was like... <laughs> There's some truth to the, that, the, the though, because you, like, you, like, you feel like you're a detective nowadays right. trying to figure out things. But that is, that is I, some truth. But, but as I think funny. about the thing that how, how, how the media has had, and not just news media and outlets, but just as I think about Twitter and Facebook mm-hmm. and media outlets mm-hmm. today, it seems to me that the church has not effectively utilized media in the day. And... Um, is that a good thing, right thing, wrong well, thing? Well, I think it just, you know, I think all of this comes back to this idea, kind of like with the separating wall between church and state, that there is a separating wall between being an American citizen and being a citizen of the coming kingdom. And, you know, it doesn't exist. There is no, there should not be a separation where one day you put on your American coat and you make these mm-hmm. decisions and you take it off and then you can put on your Christian's coat and think of a different way. You know, I, I we have to, you know, it's, it's becoming like a dual citizen. I don't want to maybe jump ahead there. I don't no, think no, we I have. No, no, I think you're but there. No. Yeah, there's, there's this idea of duality where we are equally American citizens now and equally citizens of the kingdom of God now, even though his kingdom hasn't come in its fullness yet. Yeah. And we have responsibilities resting in that. Yeah. We like to think of our lives like our American passports and citizenships, right? Uh, America is notorious that it's one of 
it's it's a country in the world that it's very very hard next to impossible to hold dual citizenship uh, if you're an american citizen and uh we like to think of our lives like that to say well i'm an american citizen you know and it's like no you're a dual citizen if you're a christian mm-hmm. yes you're an earthly you're an earthly uh citizen of the united states of america and you have the full rights and responsibilities as such however you, as a Christian, have submitted your life to a higher authority, the highest authority, according to yes. the Bible, to God himself. And you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. And that should shape your citizenship of the United States sure. and how you respond. And you have a responsibility in both. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're trying to say, is that the Christian has a responsibility both in God's kingdom and in the nation that we find ourselves a part of. And and, and the way that really what you guys were talking about with being a certain way, that God's kingdom, God's values should be reflected in the way that I live in society. And so when I see injustice that, that, that may be happening in our day, and it is in certain instances, that, that the church can't be silent on those things. Mm-hmm. The church needs to speak up. And, 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 and at the same time, you know, we have a responsibility um, uh, before God. And so... Um, you know, I think about biblically, when you think biblically about people that kind of did this well, they, they, they lived as citizens of heaven and as citizens of their country. I mean, who, do you, who comes to mind that you're like, man, that'd be a great example of somebody? I know, I know somebody who like pops into my mind a lot of times is the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he constantly was living as a citizen of the kingdom. But if you watch his remarks, especially, I think of a time when he was with, um, I think it was King Agrippa. In the book of Acts. And he yeah. references his citizenship and he lays out how he was a citizen and how he's yeah. followed his citizenly duties. And you see a picture of a guy who got it. You see a picture mm-hmm. of a guy who was living in this balance of, uh, I am an apostle of God. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he understood who was the ultimate authority, right? Um, it's God. God is right. the ultimate authority in all matters. However, he understood, too, that God had given an authority to an earthly institution called government. Mm-hmm. And uh, God has set up these institutions, um, the family, the government, right, the church. And he, he had given authority, though, to this institution of government. And Paul got it. Mm-hmm. And, it and it wasn't wrong that he appealed to Caesar. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he was exercising his right as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think about Peter. Yeah. Uh, you know, the book of First Peter has a lot to tell us about First um, Peter chapter 2. He says basically the same thing that Paul said, that we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor is supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. And yet... Peter, we find him in Acts 5, where, you know, many people just want to instantly go in terms of talking about government. But, but, but Peter was in a situation one time where he says it's, 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 it's right for us to obey God rather, rather than, than man. man. And, and why did he say that? What was his situation? Well, they, you know, they'd just been arrested for preaching the gospel and right. they, you know, charged them not to do it, but they... In the name of Jesus. In, in the name of yeah. Jesus. And they literally could not they've been commissioned by god and they had the holy spirit burning in them to go and to continue to preach the gospel of christ so in that sense it it was right for them to obey god above men because they were attempting to you know hinder something that the lord clearly commanded so as we kind of kind of boil all this discussion down to you know as christians living in this day uh, in America, we've been given rights that, as citizens, that we have a responsibility to guard and safe keep and protect and stand for. And yet at the same time, we've been given this divine commission uh, by God to make disciples of all nations and, and, and to make known His name in such a way that His values of His kingdom are being reflected in our life and the choices that we make. And so as we kind of think about, okay, well, the tension that exists between when I feel constrained between what God is asking of me and then what my government is, is mandating, what do you, where, how does the Christian resolve that tension between kind of those two citizenships? Uh, well, I think, you know, first and foremost, we need to always keep scripture at our center because that is where our authority comes from. So if, if ever anything is in, is in question or rebellion to what God has 
clearly set forward in scripture and we have issues with that you know when government is telling us otherwise that's that's one of the more obvious situations where we do appeal more to our kingdom citizenship but you know with the, this verse in first peter um in chapter two I take that to mean as, you know, Christians, we should be the best in the exemplars of American citizens, you know, living in, you know, be subject for the Lord's sake and understanding our position under that authority. And I, and I think of, um, I was reading, uh, in leading up to this, um, some of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, when he, you know, when it comes back to that tension of how are we to act, you know, if we are even to act and, He's, he was arguing to the sense that, you know, some people say that um, people are, I can't remember if it was him originally that said some people are too heavenly minded that they do, you know, no earthly good. But he said, I'd argue the opposite, that if you look through history, the Christians who understood and who had heaven on their mind actually did the most to change their right. situations in history. Right. So I, you know, I think that that's what we have to keep in mind is, you know, if we have the kingdom at our center and scripture at our core as our basis of truth, then we honestly have the position to be the best citizens out there. Yeah, because if, if the Christian truly believes in God and his truth mm-hmm. and that that is the foundation of their life, then in matters of justice and in matters of what is right and wrong, Christians should be the greatest advocates yes. and and those who are taking the greatest stand. Stephen, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think of um, a quote by uh, Ravi Zacharias. He just died recently, mm-hmm. and he was uh, he was one of a great uh, kind of not great a hero yeah. of mine, but mm-hmm. somebody that I really respected and looked up to. And uh, he said that uh, man is not pe- at peace with each other because man is not at peace with himself, and man is not at peace with himself because man is not at peace with God. Mm-hmm. And I think that in our day and age, we we want to try and just fix the problem when the problem is deep. It's deep. Man mm-hmm. is not at peace with God. And the reason that we're not at peace with ourselves most of the time is because that we're not at peace with God. Right. And we need to be salt and light. Right. We need to, as the church, to be this healing ointment. And salt stings mm-hmm. and wounds. And that means that at, there's going to be times, I believe, when the church must stand up for truth. Yeah. And it will not be pr- pleasant or pretty. To, it may you know not be popular. Saying. You know what right. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but just like salt is necessary, the church must be that. But they almost be a, also must be a light in darkness. Mm-hmm. They must shine for what truth is. And what is truth? Well, God and his word um, is truth. Right. And so this must be our basis. We must return to this. And I love what Morgan said. I completely agree with you. A Christian should be the best American citizen. He should be an example to those around him of what a citizen should stand for and what they should do. And so uh, when it comes time to vote, I believe a Christian should go and vote. Uh, When it comes time to um, speak their mind, I think a Christian should speak their mind. And not just on issues that are easy for them to speak on, but on both sides. Uh, What you said earlier about calling out injustice, Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. And I think that the church has done a very poor job of calling out injustice on every side, including when they have been causes of injustice. And I think that standing up for injustice on both sides and not just saying, hey, we're going to call out this injustice, but we're going to let this one slide. No, mm-hmm. call out both of them. Yeah. Be call consistent. out both be and consistent. be consistent right. to what? Well, the standard is God's word. Right. And I think if we can bring ourselves into a line or alliance with God's word and his truth, and we are that salt and light, then w- that's when the tension can start to ease some, and mm-hmm. we can start to live out this um, Christian life, this heavenly citizenship as earthly citizens here in the United States of America, primarily uh, is where most of our listeners probably will reside. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what has hit me uh, the last week is the fact that as an individual, I have a responsibility. Yeah. I have a responsibility in the ci- kingdom of, of the nation that I'm a part of as a citizen. And then, and, 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 and we can't broad brush just the fact of, of, well, the failures of others or the failure of the church at large or, or whatever, but, but to take personal responsibility 
as a citizen and and most importantly as a disciple of Jesus Christ to say right. one day I'm going to stand before this ultimate judge this lawgiver uh, who who doesn't grade on a curve and he and 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 he he is the source the truth of of right and wrong and so if I've failed as as a follower of Christ to stand and and to speak out on issues that 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 Jesus would have done that mm-hmm. for that then then I've then I've failed in that aspect as a Christian and so it really it, it, we what what we should take away I guess and as as you're listening today is that you know we do we live in a, a complex society and we have a lot of uh, different things that are affecting really the circumstance we're in but but what we shouldn't take away is the fact that we have no responsibility that that as as citizens we have responsibility I found uh, Francis Schaeffer he was a an apologist, his his words uh, to be a great help in this. Listen to what he says uh, in uh, the Christian Manifesto. He, he says this on page 90. He says, the civil government as all of life stands under the law of God. In this fallen world, God has given us certain offices to protect us from the chaos, which is the natural result of that fallenness. But when any office commands that which is contrary to the word of God, those who hold that office abrogate their authority, and they are not to be obeyed. And that includes the state. God ordained the state and delineated authority, and it is not autonomous. The state is to be an agent of justice to restrain evil by punishing the wrongdoer and to protect protect the good in society. When it does the reverse, it has no proper authority. Mm-hmm. It then is us- it then is a usurped authority, and as such, becomes lawless and is tyranny. Wow! And I just thought, That's man, really he said it in a way yeah. that I couldn't say it. That 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 we need to think about. Okay, well, what about our day? And 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 realize that you know culture is constantly shifting, and 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 truth is, uh, we live in a day where it's so pluralistic and and relative. Yet, yet the church cannot just wipe its hands clean of the circumstance and and like you were talking about be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good but realize that mm-hmm. as citizens of God's kingdom that we have a, a, a responsibility in the kingdom and the nation here yeah. uh, that we're part of I love uh, the passage that you referenced earlier in first Peter 2 and um, I think Peter gives us like four specific things he gives us more than that but really at the very end in uh, verses 17 at just verse 17, he gives us like four parting shots. He's like, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Mm -hmm. And the idea is respect those around you, have a unity and a love with your um, family, your church family, your Christian brotherhood. Those that you share the belief with have a unity amongst yourselves. Fear God. He's the ultimate authority. And then also honor the emperor because the emperor has been uh, put in place by God. And it's like Peter got it, you know, (laughs) and he's just like, hey, here's your parting shot. Here's here's your four action steps. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the emperor. That's good. Well, listen, I, I don't think we could say it any better. So uh, this is how we're going to conclude by today. We're so glad that you've joined our discussion. And we hope that maybe this has provided some uh, a framework, some things to think about uh, to help you identify where you land on this issue pertaining to church and state. And uh, we just released uh, ourselves on Apple Podcast a few weeks ago. I actually know this past week, really, this past yeah. week is when it happened. And so uh, what we'd really encourage our listeners to do is to go on Apple Podcasts and to rate and review the podcast uh, so that uh, we could get this message out uh, to more folks. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you've heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at catawbavalleybc.org. Our next episode will be discussing the informants of faith. We look forward to seeing you then next time.